You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. There's ideology completely embedded in this stuff. And the fact that you have kids, even with people like John Cena, who over the course of his career, his character has completely changed. But, you know, starting in his career and stuff, he was kind of just like this white dude who was really into rap. And, like, his whole shit was super problematic because he would speak in, like, this really kind of, like, topical African-American English that was mocking what it was. And I think that it's important for us to be able to, to see, like, hey, this is the cultural climate that we have. And this is how the media is taking it and turning it into something and then kind of projecting it back out at us. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. how it goes. Cheers to that. Yes. <laughs> um, so welcome to another episode of Drinks with God. Um, today we're chatting with Emily. Hi. About the cult of, um, I guess, toxic masculinity. No, we're not. Gonna, we're well, not gonna, kind of. A little kind bit. of. Um, I know. We'll, we'll figure exact out exactly how we're going to tag that but we'll, we'll write the hashtag later yeah. um at, but essentially you did a lot of work looking at um wrestling culture specifically mm-hmm. at um i don't know i think I know there's a specific word for it that has to do with roosters like strutting or something that i've, I've heard before. oh so i think that um I think, doesn't that come from Geertz with, like, the Balinese cockfighting kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a okay. cockfighting term, and it specifically, um... Like, ties, peacocking? Yeah, it, okay. like, trash-talking, but, like, peacocking, like, there's a specific word, um, like, str- peacock-strutting, peacock-strutting, I don't know. <laughs> well, so, well, I think <laughs> cock-strutting is probably the best All that right. we're gonna so, do. So, um, we're talking about comparing modern cock-strutting to ancient Greek cock-strutting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, too, because, like, even with the ancient Greeks... Well, you were mentioning that one dude whose name we're still trying to figure out. Yeah, I'm going to, like, go home, open up the exact page that I know it's at, and then be very angry at myself. And I'll put that name in the show notes. (laughs) But it's interesting because... So, I I haven't read that bit, but was that, like, trash-talking in that kind of way? Or was it just kind of, like, boasting? Um, It was was both boasting and it was also, like, um, I'm better than you because I have gone through this ordeal. I am... Um, I am a chosen, I'm anointed, I have, I've, I've been a wolf, all, I've eaten men, I've eaten lesser men than you, literally. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, bring it, bring in the the cannibalism into it, um, as well as, um, assuming that he had Zeus's actual favor. Um, so, I I guess it is trash-talking. It's kind of trash-talking, and it's interesting, too, because, like, even, you know, if you want to trace this back to, like, just... Ancient wrestling, but more specifically the ancient world, do you think about, like, all the, like, your mom jokes and stuff on the walls of Pompeii, where it's just, like, your mom fucked Julius Valerian or something, whatever the fuck, and it's just, like, 
silly stuff like that. But I think that I think that it's interesting to see that this has been this kind of like strange sense of masculinity has always been around, and it kind of these practices <laughs> also always been around. Yeah. Um, and then to just to take it and to monetize it and to modify it and to turn it into something that literally people pay like for SummerSlam or for WrestleMania and stuff, people pay three four hundred dollars for like a shitty ticket. Yeah, and then there's that everyone constantly mentions like, oh, wrestling's not real, and it's kind of like really. I mean, like I've seen pretty much the exact same thing, just not as not as pretty. Yeah, like in the hallways at a school. Yeah, I think what people yeah so. That's the thing, too, also, when you talk about real. Are you talking about real in terms of, like, the storylines? Are you talking about real in terms of, like, the physicality? Because the physicality is definitely there, obviously. But, like, that's that's the other thing, too, where, like, you kind of... Like, there's no actual wrestling fan who... Like, if you go to, like, an actual hardcore wrestling fan and you're like, it's not real. Like, even if it's not actually real, they will, like chew you out they're like it's not bad blah, blah, blah. or like some people who are like it is real blah, blah, blah. and like obviously it's not real i don't know but it's not realness isn't the actual yeah i mean like we don't go to see like julius caesar in the theater because we're expecting some like ancient romans to like come up on stage and actually kill somebody yeah uh, <laughs> and if you do that's like that's on you yeah um you're you're very badly misinformed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know what theater you're going to i don't know what production you think you're getting into yeah prepare to be disappointed (laughs) yeah exactly um so but like when you're actually i've had the opportunity to actually go to live wrestling shows and stuff but when you're there and you're in the moment there's kind of like there's a certain rhythm and um roland bart talks about this too um there's a certain rhythm to wrestling that like you kind of get into and that kind of I think overpowers whether or not it's actually real. Like if you go there, you know, the matches are set and everything and like, yeah, somebody has like their finishes, finishing moves or whatever, but the way that they actually like interact in the ring, there's a certain rhythm there and that comes about via like the wrestlers in like physically kind of interacting with each other. There has to be a sort of chemistry there between wrestlers because if there's not, you have a shitty match. There's wrestlers where like you have like legendary matches and you have matches that are continually legendary because, or they continually like put on legendary matches because they have like a great chemistry yeah the same thing goes with trash talk too like there has to be they you have to be in on the joke in order for you to be able to enjoy it and the realness is not what's important at all um yeah. so i think anybody who's like complaining about realness is just like a huge fucking party pooper and we were talking about swear are you allowed to swear oh my I god i don't yes. know i'm just asking you can absolutely swear okay. you, speaking of trash talk and having the rhythm and that being what makes it that brings me back to the point that i made before we started recording mm-hmm. about how with classic hip-hop and mm-hmm. like and rap battles yeah exactly but, um, yeah just the, the trash talk um even just, like, I remember in the the early 2000s or the late 90s where they would have, like, the Yo Mama contest where people just had to go back and forth. Um, exactly. And just keep that rhythm up. And that's... It's weird to call it a duet, but it's really it a is, duet. It is. It's a duet of anger. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and, an angry duet. And, yeah. and dick measuring. But, I mean, like, that's, that's what it is. And, and you'll get... I love how that's what wrestling matches are interspersed with. Yeah. You need, to, you need to be in on the joke and you need to be able to take the joke. And it's really interesting you mentioned that, too, because, like I was saying, I've done specifically research on John Cena and linguistic racism. And especially when you talk about things like hip-hop and your mama jokes, that's something that's historically black. Um, There's been, like, linguistic anthropology research done on that. And it's interesting because when you, like, 
really come down to it, it's like this weird kind of like filial piety kind of thing. So that's also interesting. But then to take that and then mix that in with like masculinity and then also like just talking about someone's mom also is just yeah. like like super personal. And I guess that's kind of the piety part too, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, and Freud would have a field day with that where there's kind of like look. What hasn't had a fucking field day with <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. How much of a man am I? <laughs> Yo mama like this. And it's kind of like... Yeah. Just like the juxtaposition and one from the other. and Right there. It's yeah. like psycho, you know, psychoanalysis 101. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I much pref- more prefer the Jungian approach where we're talking about where it's the same exact story that's been going on over and over and over. The mm-hmm. exact same blueprint. Two different players yeah. coming on the stage doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, which, of course... Let's talk about archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, was it like the big bad and the, like the hero? Like that's, those yeah. aren't really the terms, but I mean, yeah. like you'll see them in mythology. You'll see them mm-hmm. in wrestling. Yes. So the bad guy in wrestling is called the heel. And then you have the, this is like a very kind of simple yeah. black and white dichotomy. But and you have the bad guy who's the heel and then the good guy who's the face. Um, and it's strange too, because even like over John Cena's career, you have um, his switch from heel to face. And that also goes along with his linguistic practices, specifically his very, like, actual use of Yo Mama jokes, like, in the middle of the ring, too. And it's also important to notice that John Cena is white. So him utilizing these linguistic practices and making, like, this weird kind of mockery of them, um, just the way that he's doing it and the way that his discourse plays out. (laughs) The other day, my coworker left the office and she's like, I'm out, you like your belly button. And then I was like, um, and then I was like, I'm out of like your mom's belly button. And it's just like, it's stupid shit like that. That's yeah. still kind of funny, but like you can, I don't know, yeah, just no. playful nature. And I, I have to ask, do you have a favorite Yo Mama joke? <laughs> oh shit. Just, I want to get this out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just like the classic ones. Um, I don't have a favorite one. Actually, don't know because I think I think that it depends on who the person is too. Because I feel like there's always a little bit more like you can dig a little deeper with the your mama joke that's a little true. Yeah. So I think it depends on whose mom you're talking right. about. So you like to personalize your your mama jokes and that's yeah. Oh, okay. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna like if you're gonna be in a your mama battle with somebody, you have to know their mama. You have to know that. that you have to know <laughs> their mama. mama. And you can just say, "I know your mama," and then it's done. Okay. And then you're like, "All right, you don't know my mom. You don't know my mom." So your mama jokes are especially important, and it is kind of like that kind of banter where they all kind of like one up each other all the time, and then eventually, you know, you can only do that so much in a span of like three to four minutes because wrestlers will cut promos and stuff with other wrestlers, yeah. or they'll either stand in front of there's an interviewer or whatever, and they're like, um, "How do you feel about your match tonight?" And then the wrestler will like grab the mic out of the interviewer's hands and they just say whatever, and you can cut. I think there's maybe, I think promos are maybe about anywhere from, um, like, 40 seconds to, like, I don't think I could watch a promo that's longer than three minutes, too. So there's also kind of, like, an expiration date on that, too, especially if it's just one person, where you can only really keep, you can only push it so much. Yeah, they've got to, like, really, you know, pack a punch with their joke. Like, kind of like a, it, it is a stand-up comedy bit. Yeah, like it is. They, Especially with the timing. Yeah. But it is, uh... All the laughs are specifically mean laughs. Yes. It's a humiliation kind of a thing. Exactly. It is a humiliation kind of thing. Um, and this kind of goes into it. One of my, and this is actually something that I showed in my, um, when I was like presenting my research and stuff, one of my absolute, 
absolute, absolute fucking favorite. It's not even a promo. I don't even know where it came from. But I think sometime in, like, maybe 2006 or something, Vince McMahon is the... He's not the founder of the WWE, but I think he's, like, the current CEO. I forget exactly what his position is. But mm-hmm. he's high up there in terms of power and ownership. So there's one point... He's He has this, like... he He's notorious for this one walk he does where he kind of, like, just swings from side to side and, like, pumps his hands like this. I'm yeah. trying to, like, figure out how to say this because I'm doing it right now, but I can't. I'm yeah, no. For, for, for the listening audience at home, she, she's got, she's doing kind of almost like a exaggerated. Saunter? Like saunter, yeah. Yeah. It's, El, elbows akimbo. Exactly. Fists pumping. Yeah. So he, he does that walk and apparently he walks that way, like, in real life too, which is really funny. But that's neither here nor there. I want it. What was that conversation? It was like, oh, do that walk. What walk? <laughs> right? Like, uh, do that thing you do. What thing what I thing, do? What thing do I do? Make that face. What face? What uh, face? The one you were born with. Just go. Just, just, just sit here and look for it. It's fine. Just, okay. just, do your, just do your thing, guy. Exactly. So he's like, it's like, God, maybe like a 20 second clip. Uh, he's doing his walk down the hallway and there's just like some schmo dude, probably an intern or something, like completely not a wrestler, not anything. But this man is holding a live chicken. Okay. <laughs> and he comes up to Vince McMahon and he's like, Vince McMahon, I have this for you. And he's, Vince McMahon just looks at him really funny and he's like, what do you mean? Like, what is this? He's like, it's a chicken. And the guy was like, this dude who literally has, is completely nameless, faceless, blah, 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 turns to him and just says in like this really nasty kind of tone, he's like, it's not a chicken, it's a cock. And apparently you love cocks. And then like... The entire audience just goes, whoa! And you don't, you can't see them. You can only hear their oohs. And it's really just like this strangely disembodied experience. You're just like, what? Like, these are adult. All these right. are adult. Like, that's the scary thing, too, is that when you look at the demographics for wrestling, it's not children. I think it's men who are, like, 30 and older. And I think the age is even higher. Part of me is... Like, the anthropologist part of me is fascinated, but the part of me that grew up reading, like, Big Brother magazine and, like... I don't know what that is. Um, like, most of those guys were like, oh, wait, let's do our own thing, and they left it and they became jackass. Like, they were the ones who discovered... Oh. They were the ones who discovered Ben Margera. Like, he was, like, ten, and they were just kind of like, let's take pictures of this ten-year-old skating. Oh, okay. And then they... And then there's just, like, this zoom in on his face where he's, like, dumbfounded that this person would even say that to him. So it's, like, super homophobic, first of all, and also kind of brings in this weird kind of masculinity structure too yeah where you know you talk about things like hegemonic masculinity but if you have something that's hegemonic you also in turn have things that are necessarily non-hegemonic and marginalized yeah so you have this man who's like the owner of the company blah 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 he's like the cis able-bodied white dude doing his like weird fucking jolly whatever it is (laughs) And then this dude who, like, is literally just... And also, like, the actual physicality of their bodies and stuff like that, too. Where he's able to be kind of brought down a peg by this kind of, like, scrawny, no-name dude with... Holding a live chicken? This random toady who's got a chicken in this hallway. Yeah, also, like, I don't know what the... uh, The FDA? Like, I feel like that's, like... The logistics of getting a chicken into that hallway. (laughs) Yeah, like, and what do they do with it after and before? What would have been a ten minutes of several takes, setting up the shoot, taking down the shoot, and then, like, okay, now we gotta get rid of it, bye. Yeah, like, it's, what do you do? Yeah. It's a lot of contacting farms, it's a lot of forms, and it's a lot of, uh... <laughs> like, rent a chicken. And it's a lot of, okay, we need a very specific U-Haul. <laughs> like... Because it's gonna... Because animals defecate, and yeah. you have to deal it's with that. chickens? Yeah, um, chick- chickens... Second only to rabbits, and the fact that they just, like, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. 
Okay. So, no, so that's the other thing, too, is that, like, for the for the length of this joke, the, where the clip is literally 15, 20 seconds long or whatever, to go through all of that yeah. and to make a punchline based on somebody else's masculinity in that way, where it's literally just, like, a blip. In WWE history. That's so 90s. A fucking blip. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that, like, when you talk about wrestling, too, especially with the 90s, you yeah. talk about, like, The Rock, you talk about Stone Cold, and when... I forget if this was the 90s or early 2000s or when it was, but when Stone yeah. Cold comes out, like, literally on a fucking Budweiser truck yeah. that has a hose attached to it and sprays down Vince McMahon. So that's the other thing that's yeah. really interesting, too. You want to talk about wrestling as fake. Fake in, it's weird because it mirrors real life in a lot of ways. Like, that's the thing, too. This is kind of its own microcosm universe, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. All right. I'm, I've got two different parallels to, like, actually bring up to this. Just because it's one that's contemporary to that and one mm-hmm. that's, like, way not contemporary to that. Okay, mm-hmm. so 90s wrestling culture yes. is in and of itself its own very interesting microcosm. Because yes. it's almost like it was the height of it. The height of this weird set, like, bubble of masculinity, like, almost self actually self-parodying masculinity. Yes. But, to, but to the people that were in the bubble, they weren't quite aware. Maybe they were, but who cares? They were along for the ride. Yeah. To the point where um, it was almost like, it was in fact like pornographic, just like circle jerking. Yeah. Almost. Of just kind of like how much barely literal, like just, just close to literal dick waving was going on. Um, just because <laughs> oh, of, yeah. like it was just, it just came so close. I, no, you're <laughs> like, not wrong. To the point where like if you look back on it, like any anybody who was not alive at the time who looks back on it now is just kind of like, what the fuck oh. is this? Is this a joke? Is this from, like, SNL? Like, what is this? <laughs> um, like, no, no, no. That was the actual thing. That's not something making fun of the thing. That's yeah, the actual that's thing. That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, two different things. Things that were happening alongside of it and things that were happening, like, way, way previous to it. Yeah. Alongside of it, I did mention Big Brother magazine. So, skater culture along mm-hmm. the same time, which mm-hmm. is what I was super into. Grungy, gu- grungy goth skaters, mm-hmm. which was, like, a subculture of a subculture. Mm-hmm. Blink-182 came out of that, which is, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of guys who are just, like, running around naked in L.A. That Take Off Your Pants and Jacket album, where yeah. it's kind of, like, that's its own weird version of masculinity that kind of also didn't care about the dick-waving, but it was then in, the like, videos, it was, like, literal, literally taking it to that next yeah. step of just kind of, like, we are actually in the possible... We might be gay. We're, like, we're experienced... We're, like, experimenting with the territory. Yeah. Not in the, we are too masculine to even notice yeah. how gay this might actually be territory. Yeah. And then... Because, like, oh, but I'm straight, so that's the joke. Who cares? Ha ha. That's kind of... That's kind of... <laughs> laughing with you. Yeah, like, that's kind yeah. of, like, what... That's kind of, like, where Big Brother and later Jackass and all those, like, skater, grungy, like, punk rock bands took it. Mm-hmm. Especially when it came to, like, things that were, um, like, hyper-masculine. Like, they would make fun yeah. of it. It's, like, like BC Boys with the... Fight for your rights. Like, this is going to be the second I'm time. I'm loving this Beastie Boys like that, <laughs> like that. That's the second, yeah, that, like, that's the second, this is the second time I've specifically brought up, brought up how Beastie Boys wrote Fight for Your Rights, specifically to make fun of the hyper-masculine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the, um, similar but different in Ancient Greece, which was the whole reason what I thought I was going to be bringing up as the counter to you talking about, like, more modern wrestling mm-hmm. culture. In, um, Ancient Greek wrestling culture, they did have a lot of that shit talking, but a lot of it more was, like, Either um, I am favored by this god, yeah. or I am fathered by this god, or I have had sexual relations with this god. Yeah. It was very rarely with a goddess. It was very frequently with a god. 
And that was never like a, I, I'm gay, therefore I'm lesser, because sexuality was different then. Different, yeah. Way different then. Um, a lot of people talk about the whole, a lot of people mistake different things that were happening in ancient Greece for either like pedophilia or homosexuality. Mm-hmm. That's not really what it was. There was not, I mean, obviously there were some really like sketchy, like strange consent issues that were going on in some cases. Yeah. Um, Especially with, like the Greek teaching and stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> Pedagogy. Mm. We, we pay teachers differently now. Um, <laughs> Do we? I don't think their rates have gone up. Yeah, that's but that's yeah, okay. their uh, their their rates haven't gone up. You but, still pay um, an oval. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, monet- mon- money wise, their rates have not changed. Yeah. But no. <laughs> the children involved are happier. Yeah. We've just went to a dark place very quickly. I mean, no, when, when you said rate change, I meant rate change in terms of monetary. I was gonna make a joke about like oval. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. It was a joke about Greek currency. Okay. Well, I make jokes about paying with things in hay pennies. Oh my, that's all right. Um, I was still trying to talk well, about edit the... Post, edit and post. Edit and post. I'm still talking about the gay or lack of thereof thing. No, I understand. I understand. Uh, all right. I so, I feel like I need another beer for this one. Here, I got it. All right. No, it's... <laughs> well, the other thing that I think is important, too, is wrestlers would always... Or ancient Greek wrestlers always wrestled in the nude. Yeah. So I feel like that's also an important kind of thing to bring about, too, um, in terms of, like, physicality and things like that. And also, I think they did, um, I think it's called amphibulation or something, where they would, like, literally just, like, tie their penises up or something. And I'm not sure if it was for display or what exactly that was. Um, all of my studies with with, um, ancient Greece did very... Very little work with um, any of the sports or the, Olymp- or the Olympians. Mm. Um, I wish that I could tell you more than I know. I just remember having <laughs> that conversation with my like advisor yeah. years ago, and that was the only thing I got yeah. from that conversation. Um, it was essentially right around the, the waist, like just below yeah. the belly button is where it would be tied. Yeah. It was essentially just like um, a string. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like for protection purposes. Or... There's not really all that much protection going yeah, on <laughs> at all. Yeah, like essentially you're just like displaying the root and the balls. Like yeah. a, it's not really. It's like the opposite of protection. <laughs> yeah, it's like look at this. But um, and actually, like it was a standard of beauty to have a small penis. So like that's yeah. not going to be a showing off kind of thing. Because hmm. um, the bigger one you had, the more you were like a, a you know, a gross satyr who was, um, oh. you know, just like super hyper, like a super hypersexual. Um, I mean, this is specifically Athenian. Um, yeah, that's a, true too. A lot of, it, it really varied from region to region. Um, although a lot of standards of beauty and a lot of things like that in later Grecian periods did mm-hmm. follow Athenian. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was slightly different over in Sparta, where people at, where homosexuality was actually considered the more of the norm. Yeah, um, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, Sparta was gay as fucking hell. Sparta, like, Sparta was, was so gay. <laughs> Sparta was goddamn gay. Yes, that was great. And as a gay man, I love that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Why don't you go back to gay mecca, Sparta? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Sparta was also an entirely different thing. Also, in terms, and that might go back to the other thing too, where it's like you're talking about having sex with male gods and everything as some sort of um, mas- like a masculinity performance kind of thing, like a transmission of masculine power kind of a thing. Yeah, and Sparta was m- m- like military based. Yeah, super super military. So a lot of a lot of the cults um, 
which you would later see Olympiads um, being super proliferating and being attached to, um, were generally in Arcadia, which I was actually talking to you about, um, which I'm going to find out who this guy was, because I should, I used to know him by name, and I should know him by name. I, I'm, I'm a bad historian, bad historian. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But he... Where were the sources on him? That was my other question. Um, Just as an aside, I'm curious. They're also listed in the, in the same book, which I used to, like, you know, sleep in at night, sleep with at night when uh, I was okay. in college, because I loved it so much. So is it, like, a source book? No, um, it's called Man into Wolf by Dr. Okay. Eisler, which um, he himself is a pretty controversial uh-huh. anthropologist. He's super Jungian. Um, he had his own personal theories about human psychological development. But he was fantastic for digging up and discovering new sources. So this book, which is from late 1800s, early 1900s, he specifically talks about the the specific wrestler and in regards to um, the cannibal cult of Zeus Laocos, which is we know was an actual cannibal cult, and we do have actual corroborating evidence from several different sources that... I will, I will list in the show notes, um, both Manda Wolf and the sources that he cites for where this guy was, co- like, he would constantly brag, he was a famous wrestler in Greece at the time, um, that he was chosen by Zeus because he'd gone through these rites, and he was an initiate of this cult, because he had gone through the rite at the top of the Mount Olympus, he had eaten from the sacrificial person that they dragged up there, and then he'd swum across the lake become a wolf for a bit, and then swam back across the lake and was a human again. Um, which is, you know, the, the short and short version of the uh, of what the ritual was. I'm Googling Arcadian Wolf Wrestler. <laughs> yeah, Arcadian Wolf Wrestler. Keep your safe search on, because I don't know what that's going to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> fucked up DeviantArt stuff. I'll, I'll text it to you, I'll, I'll okay. email it to you, and I will put that in the show notes, the guy's specific name. But he was constantly, like, at least out of the wrestling ring. I don't know what he was doing in the wrestling ring, aside from... Rolling around with another naked guy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wrestling hasn't changed much. Yeah, was, it, now they just wear you know the tiny little jumpers and sit in there. So cute. <laughs> so cute. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Also, like physicality through dress, and especially with peacocking. If you want to talk about, so wrestling was super formative in the '90s, especially because I think that. At least amongst our generation, people talk about the 90s a lot, too. They're like, oh, I'm a 90s kid, blah, 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 the rock's stone cold. But then you also have wrestlers who were really big in the 80s. And then the 80s, with the rise of capitalism and everything, you have this one wrestler, Ric Flair, who comes out in these huge, like, magnificent, long silk robes with, like, boas. And he has, like, bleach blonde hair that's, like, slicked back and, like, these huge aviators because he's a product of his time. Um... And then also Randy Savage, who uh, comes out in, like, a cowboy hat and, like, leather and stuff and, like, also big sunglasses and hair, but they're kind of very different in terms of the personas they actually portray. But, um, you know, also kind of the clothing they wear as an augmentation of physicality and, in turn, that also promoting and allowing them to perform the masculinity that they're doing. Even if it's something – even if Ric Flair comes out in, like – that's the thing, too. That's what also what you were talking about, where, like, stuff that people see now, and they're like, oh, that's gay or something. It's like, it, it takes on a different meaning, I think, based on how it's being used. Yeah. So, that's that's the other thing, too. And I do want to say that you said, what was it, um, 
the 80s and the rise of, and then you said capitalism, and I just assumed you were going to say, and the rise of hair metal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the bigger, the, it's kind of the same thing. Like, this big, huge, ostentatious, like, in-your-face kind of commodity thing that you can touch tangible, even with hair. We know yeah. how important hair is anthropologically, and, yeah. like, I don't really know if people who are into hair metal, like, knew about, like, Ancient rituals with hair and things like that. Like, I, don't, I don't think there was. Uh, no. I don't know. Let's get Motley Crue like. on the phone and see how much they can contribute. Hey, um, do you know about like medieval hair art? Uh, no. How about Victorian morning wreaths? Oh wait, yeah, no, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay. Oh there, no, there was some medieval hair art, but um, yes. Um, I said something right. And I didn't even know I was oh, right. <laughs> um, I mean, same time period, different yes. part of the world. Yes. That's um, true. like hair art, hair art. <laughs> hair art mm-hmm. is cross cultural. Yes. And throughout throughout the ages. Yes. Um That's our thesis. Yes. <laughs> hair art. So I don't yeah, I don't yeah. think Motley Crue was like in on the hair art kind mm-hmm. of thing, but 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 they, but they looked like re- but they looked like something between um like it was kind of like someone like took drag culture and wrestling culture and was just kind of like just smashed it yeah. together. Yeah. I mean so you said drag culture and wrestling culture? Yes. So it's funny, too, because initially I've also done research on drag race. So yeah. a lot of my stuff is, like, gender-oriented, blah, blah, blah. But they're kind of the same thing. There is some shit-talking that goes down on there. Oh, hell yeah. Um, hell yeah. And I say that having worked, um, like, makeup and, like, stage crew and, like, lots and lots of drag shows. Yeah. Holy shit. It's the same, it's the same kind of thing, too. And I think, that, I think that there is a lot of mediating and stuff that has to go on because it is something where you're performing... This identity, and it's not something... I don't want to get just, like, essentialism, but because it's not something that is, like, topically kind of essential to somebody. Like, yeah. especially if you're... This is t- sounding problematic, and I'm trying to figure out a good way to say it. Okay, so if we're talking about cis men, right? Cis men who do drag and have, you know, and they're not using drag as, like, any sort of gateway for transition or something, because I feel like that's a thing, too, where a lot of... People who have been identifying as trans for a long time will yeah. get into drag, and then it, it kind of, like, opens their eyes. Like a toe-in-the-water kind of a thing. Exactly. Like, like this yeah. is a safe way for me to, like, kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where, where somebody's idea of your identity doesn't align with your own, yeah. and then you're projecting something else, I think that there's more at stake there for you. Yeah. So there is a lot of defensiveness that comes in with that. Um, reasonably. Because it's your identity. It's yeah. Your being. Um, it's who you are. It's yeah, it's who yeah, you are. Very much so. So I, but I think with wrestlers, it's kind of different. But you still have kind of like the same. Well, not kind of different. It's much different. But you have the same kind of thing there, where it's you're kind of undergoing a change a little bit to something that's kind of like a normal dude, where you're like a normal kind of guy, blah blah blah, whatever. And then you have to go out into the ring and perform. You have to be larger than life. Um, and the same thing with drag queens too, where you have to be larger than life. So when you have to. When something is on the line for you to be able to perform and for you to be able to hit your marks properly, there's a lot at stake there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm realizing, like, was it, how long have we been talking? Like, for at least an hour. Um, <laughs> and I generally open with asking you, um, why the fuck should we be talking to you about this? Was there anything specific about what you did in your own personal research that mm-hmm. um, that you want to, like, go back to and speak with? Because we, we generally try to open with that, and yeah. uh, we, we didn't even uh, we didn't even gloss over it so much as uh, ignore it entirely, so. <laughs> well, I think, I think one of the things that I want to challenge, especially, is things like realness, 
realness and authenticity because people are like, it's not real, it's not this, it's not that. And it's like, no, this is something that is a multi-million dollar industry. It's something that is broadcasted to millions of people globally. And for somebody to be talking about this stuff as fake is completely dismissive. There's ideology completely embedded in this stuff. And the fact that you have kids, even with people like John Cena, who over the course of his career, his character has completely changed. But, you know, starting in his career and stuff, he was kind of just like this white dude who was really into rap. And, like, his whole shit was super problematic because he would speak in, like, this really kind of, like, topical African-American English that was mocking what it was. And I think that it's important for us to be able to, to see, like, hey, this is the cultural climate that we have. And this is how the media is taking it and turning it into something and then kind of projecting it back out at us. Okay, almost like a... A a mirror, kind of. Oh, I was going to say more like a barometer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's also why part of the reason it was important for me to study this diet chronically, too, is because you have different kind of archetypes archetypes or whatever in um, the 80s than you do in the 90s, right? Yeah. So when you have these men who are larger than life and you have them kind of emerging as a result of, like, the larger-than-lifeness that comes from capitalism and things like that, Versus people in the 90s where you have Stone Cold, who's like this Joe, quote unquote, Joe Sixpack guy. He comes out and fucking, this dude wrestles in jorts. I don't know how he does it. He wrestles in jorts and knee pads. And I'm just like, I can't even like move in pants, like you know jeans what? that are too tight. This how, is... More power to that guy. Right? Yeah. More power to you. Right? Yeah. So this fucking jorts wrestler. So he's out there and he's wrestling in jorts. And, you know, the jeans are kind of like evocative of like this working class kind of blah, blah, blah. And he comes out with, like like I was saying, the Budweiser truck, too. You know, you're like a working class dude. You just want to come home and, like, crack open a few brews with the boys or whatever. Like, you know. And this dude literally comes out driving not only just a truck, which is also an index of working class. Yeah, just kind of, like, hit all the bullet points. Every single fucking bullet point was yeah. checked off. Come, And then he comes out of that Budweiser truck in jorts. <laughs> <laughs> And, you're, and I think he's, like, shirtless and has, like, a leather vest on or something. I don't know who does the costume design. Did then, movie. like, the uh, the rest of the village people show up? Like, what well, Yeah, there was a cop. There was a Native American. There was a nurse for some reason. What? Probably. I don't know. Um, I mean, you always need to have nurses outside of the wrestling ring. But. Yes. Um, so, yeah. The rest of the village people did show up. Uh, and then and then he literally sprays down Vince McMahon, who's the CEO of the WWE, and he, so you have this Joe Sixpack spraying down this dude who's a literal suit, wearing a suit, with huge shoulder pads and doing this strange masculine stra- uh, saunter. In the middle of the ring, he's cornered at the fucking um, turnbuckles, and he's just being hosed down by this industrial-sized hose, like, just spraying Budweiser at him. I just want to say that as a specific note aimed at the hosts of the other more kinky podcast on my network. <laughs> this sounds exactly like some of the fantasies and porns that you guys talk about on your shows. <laughs> and, okay, back to the wrestling. <laughs> well, similar, so, I mean, speaking to that. I mean, like, that is, like, talk about, like, just back to that earlier point of, like, masculinity mm-hmm. to the point where it becomes a homoerotic parody of itself. And you want to talk about, again, like, and a morotic parody of itself and also just kind of like a, a discursive thread. After, um, what the fuck is his name? Stone Cold. I'm not, he's not my favorite, so I don't even remember. I, don't, I choose to ignore him. Um, <laughs> you just ignoring Stone Cold. I choose Cold. to ignore him. I don't know him. I, I don't know him. I don't know him. Um, but, okay. <laughs> 
later on in like 2000, 2002, 2003, you have this one dude who comes out. His name is Kurt Angle. And in real life, not like the wrestling world, but in real life, he is an actual gold medal Olympian. Oh, nice. Or silver, silver, some, some medal Olympian. If he's got, you got a medal in the Olympics. I don't for care. Wrestling? Yeah, yeah. For wrestling? Yeah. For anything. Yeah. For if you get a, it's almost like, oh, it's bronze medal in the Olympics. And you got to the, the Olympic, Olympic Olympics. Olympics. Yeah. Holy shit, if you got to the Olympics. Yeah. That in and of itself is a medal. Yep. I don't think people realize that. Yep. No, it's, it's yeah, no. And he broke his neck. Um, I forget if he, if it was in the wrestling shit. ring or during the Olympics. I forget. So that's his other shtick too. But so <laughs> this dude—he made it part of his shtick too. His, his shtick is that he broke his neck. Yeah. As someone who did stunts for a decade, I can really appreciate that. <laughs> it, it's a good. It's a good one. So it's weird because he comes out as like this all-American Olympian dude. Like he comes out in like the leotard and it's red, white, and blue, and he comes out with like medallions. And is stuff he holding on. a Wheaties box? <laughs> I do think he was on a Wheaties box at some point. Well, I was asking if he was holding one, but that's even better. <laughs> Actually, I like that. That's a good, that's good prop use. Yeah, I mean, That's on. great prop use. I like that. Instead of, it's like... better than the chicken. I like that. <laughs> just, like, ch- chugs down some Wheaties like he's, uh, like he's Popeye with some spinach, and then just, like, toss it over his shoulder. But literally, this is exactly what it is. This is... Okay. So, you know, Stone Cold had the beer truck, and then there was one point where Kurt Angle, this all-American fucking hero, comes out on a milk truck. <laughs> And I forget if, it, if he sprays, I forget if he sprays Kurt, uh, not Kurt Angle, I forget if he sprays Vince McMahon or Stone Cold, but he sprays them with milk! Like, the same shit where Kurt, I think, I think it's with, um, I think it's with Stone Cold, where he comes out on his fucking milk truck and, like, sprays him down with milk. Which is, like, a, first of all, a disaster for the fucking cleanup crew. I am sure. That clip is now on a porn site. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're all like, welcome. I own, like... Even if we hadn't talked about the idea of, like, self-parrying, unintentionally homoerotic, like, Jesus (laughs) Christ. Yeah. Yeah, milk, especially. Like, I don't even know if that was unintentionally. That's, like... That had to have been... That's, like, the... The gayest at thing some you could spray po- at, at some somebody. point, somebody like at least in the back of their head was like, maybe nah, like nah. water, really? <laughs> like water. We could do like like what did he like spray him down? And then did he like yell like got milk like really aggressively at him? Like because I wouldn't, I don't exactly remember, but I would not put it past. Like honestly, the WWE. just because of just because of it was being the WWE and because of the, how sticky it was yeah. and because of it being like nineties early two thousands, yeah. that would have been totally in place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, so so that was beautiful and perfect, and it, it, it exists on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just search Kurt Angle Milk, but put your safe search on if you're at work. Um, Actually, you probably don't even need to search that far. You could probably find it in the GIF section. The G- GIF, 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 however you decide to pronounce it. <laughs> I like that uh, you said GIF as like a non-confrontational <laughs> I don't know. No. How, how do you pronounce it over in, a, over in your like your Facebook response to things? You can just probably find just that yeah. bit <laughs> as, a, you know, as a GIF. There's a, lot, there's a lot of wrestling stuff, too, just like as responses, too, which is also funny because... Then you can kind of see the climate of, like, responses, too, where it's up there with, like, all these gifts of, like, super, just, like, super over-the-top things. Yeah. Um, so I do think that it, I think that wrestling is self-aware, but I think that it's also something that we can look at in terms of, like, figuring out the political climate, because it definitely mirrors that, too. Yeah. And even now, there was something, so I know I keep talking about John Cena, but he's just such a strange character. So, earlier on in his career, he debuted as, like, white dude who loves rap, blah, blah, blah. But it was kind of like, he's, like, this lame white dude who loves rap, and he's just, like, 
showing up with like baggy pants and like a backwards hat on and like these huge chains, you know, any, any kind of like indexes of blackness that existed in the world at that time, he kind of, they, they, they put it all on him, like some sort of like fucked up racist sandwich. Mm -hmm. So they put it, they put all that stuff on him and then he would come out and be just be like, yo, 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 blah, blah, blah. And you can quantify what I did in my research is I actually quantified the instances of African-American English that he used throughout his speech. So when he debuted, he was a heel, a.k.a. a bad guy. And it's no coincidence that he was also a heel who was using African-American English practices, discursive practices, you know, that's just straight-up racism, like, there. But then what they did, too, is the clip that I had analyzed was um, John Cena against Kurt Angle, where they literally had a rap battle. Oh, okay. So John Cena comes into the ring with all his fucking, you know, the things they put on him. Yeah. Um, and then Kurt Angle comes out and they're trash talking whatever. And then I think Kurt Angle comes over to John Cena and like takes his hat, takes John Cena's hat off his head and then puts it on his own head backwards. And he's like, you know, the entire time John Cena's like trying to rap battle him and Kurt Angle's just like, I have no idea what you're saying. Like just being completely dismissive of it too, which is also like... This is also right after, like, not even 10 years after the whole quote-unquote Ebonics debate in Oakland, where in oh. schools and stuff. Oh, shit. Not okay. Literally not <laughs> even 10 years after. Oh, um, damn. So All this, right. So this is when people were still using the word Ebonics. Okay. Enter, instead of, like, African-American English and, like, just... Yeah. Even that is kind of, like, a... The thing with that is that it's important to recognize that as its own thing because yeah. African American English absolutely does. It's interesting because it has instant, it has um, certain features that aren't present in quote unquote standard English, but it has things that are present in West African languages. And it'll vary from region to region in the United exactly. States. That's true too. People don't, you know, the fact that people are that to, to that level of dismissiveness and just like I'm just like every single linguist should be angry. It's no, like we are. We're like, very angry. Honestly. <laughs> It's, it's hard, too, because, like, it's still seen as, like, this novelty kind of thing. Also, yeah. we're, like, I'm on, like, a list for, like, linguistics talks and stuff. And it's just, like, all these white people who are doing stuff on, like, work on, like, African-American English use and hip-hop. And it's, like, well, fucking duh, Chad. It's still, like, this thing that is, like, really novelty and fetishistic to the point where people are still doing research on it, even though there's been all this research that's been done. Not to say that the research isn't important, but I don't want to hear it coming out of the mouths of white people. Honestly, if you're going to, and this is just me going off on my own personal tangent yeah. about some a singer who I like, I personally love and adore. If you're going to be doing any sort of like linguistic analysis over a rap singer, um, I mean, look over at Diane Wood. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. she uses like, what are the three dialects? She does um, South African, um, it's almost starts with an X, the native language. I'm not sure. Today, it's like, but they also got in a lot of hot water. Yeah. Well, yeah, they did. But she, but she technically she's, she's rapping and speaking in three different languages. Yes. Um, yeah. like that in and of itself is like a fascinating thing to take yeah. a look at. Yeah. And that's the other interesting thing too, where you have what's called diglossia, where you have somebody can be fluent in three different languages, but depending on what setting you're in, who you're talking to, things like that, you have different kind of power structures that are associated with different languages. Yeah. So I think the one that I'm trying to remember what my professor had used as an example, I think it was like Moroccan Arabic versus classical Arabic versus... 
French, so you speak just, like, Moroccan Arabic to your friends. Classical Arabic is specifically for, like, religious purposes, and then French is for, like, legislative purposes. Yeah. And I think this is, I guess, all in Morocco. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> that happens all over the world. It's all, it's all strange, and it's all... Not strange, but it's all very complicated to pick apart. If you speak one language, you don't realize how many languages you're speaking. Especially if you're speaking English. Oh yeah, no English. Yeah. English is a mutt. nightmare. I wish nightmare. I could. I wish I could find a video because, like Eddie, or just a compilation of videos because Eddie Izzard does a really fantastic breakdown of it because mm-hmm. he's because he's multilingual. He's done whole bits just talking about comparing the um, how it is to like relay things in like Latin and then just kind of like okay with English, but it's like this, and he will speak in Latin. He'll speak in English. Yeah. And he'll talk about um, the development of the English language. It's like, well, let's just get rid of like gendered everything. And yeah. Let's get rid of this and let's get rid of that. Let's yeah. get rid of directional. No. Let's get rid of um, adding uh, tenses to things. Let's just like case, do, let's just do yeah, auxiliaries. The streamlining of language, um, and as well as like adding the romantic the romantic influence to the Germanic influence, and just kind of like like. Uh, is this word really only exist in like in the Latin? Well, let's just use a straight Latin word. It's like, yeah. is this really like a a Scandinavian word? Well, let's just use a Scandinavian word. Who cares? Yeah. It's, like, it's a I'm mutt. Sure, I'm sure you hear that a lot too. Yeah. Where people are like, "Well, isn't English a lot like Latin?" And it's like, no, it is you not. Dumbass. It is not, not. like Latin. <laughs> it is not like Latin because Latin is Latin e- came into English in the 1800s, oh, yeah. the late 1800s. Also, the when I'm trying when someone who is an English speaker is speaker is trying to learn Latin, they get so confused because Latin is simpler in the pronunciation. I know. There are so many ways to pronounce each individual letter in English, and then you go to Latin, it's like, wait, no, but yeah. how do I? It's like there are only one or two ways to pronounce each letter. Yep. It is so hard to fuck this up. Well, it's long or short. If it, it ain't long, it's short. It's like, it's so hard to fuck this up. Why are you fucking this up? Oh, it's because your native language is English, English. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Latin is a bajillion times, yeah. not a bajillion times easier, like, especially when you get... I'm still kind of lost in my sequence of tenses sometimes. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> like, why is this in the subjunctive for no reason? <laughs> like, why is there, who, no, like, literally nobody invited the subjunctive. Nobody asked. Nobody asked. <laughs> Why'd um, you come to this party? We didn't need you here. <laughs> or, like, even, I'm just thinking about, like, my very first, like, not my very first, but, like, when I was in high school taking Latin and stuff, when you do... There's that one fucking Catullus poem where it's in top. It's entirely an indirect statement. Oh my it's in top. It's I'm telling you, it's like 20 lines of Latin. Wait. You have the it's Phaselius, oh, yeah. oh, whatever yeah. the fuck. Oh yeah. Oh about my god. His little boat, and the entire yes. thing is an indirect statement. Oh wait. Oh, for the audience who probably hasn't actually learned any Latin, this motherfucker Catullus. <laughs> <laughs> Such a pain in the ass. Like, Again, you want to talk about masculinity and stuff. Oh yeah, talk about incredibly. Okay, about yeah. That. So, like, of all the poets in all the world that had to survive, like, writing in the Latin language, this emo bitch who wouldn't stop <laughs> talking about his girlfriend, literally. Some like, of his poetry is beautiful. Oh, yeah, some of it's like, lovely, but like, uh, Mia Lesba. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his uh, gr- yeah. So Catullus and his girlfriend named Lesba. He wrote a whole bunch of poems about her. And for the rest of eternity, every single person who has ever had to learn Latin has had to translate those goddamn poems. There's some of them are really beautiful. So, like, oh yeah, some of them are lovely, but most of them are just asinine. You know that one poem about that woman stealing his notebooks? Do you remember that? Where he's like, give me back my notebooks, you dirty slut. I think my favorite one is where he's just kind of like, um, let's just have some drinks because life is bad. And if I don't drink and you don't drink, we're going to argue. I'm just kind of like, you know, it's I just... I don't, I don't think I have to um, do that one. 
it's this like my like oh my lesba my lovely lesba you've left me and I no no oh, like, oh, th- this one she hasn't left him yet oh. they're together oh. they're at a party oh. he's like drink something please drink something I'm gonna drink something you better drink this something isn't like, like ancient lemonade like, yeah <laughs> it's, ba- it's basically yeah so the ver- so the very first lemon so yeah Queen B has actually ripped it off from from, from, from this Queen bitch Catullus <laughs> oh my god but that's the other thing too that's really interesting especially with Catullus the infamous Catullus 16 right where he's writing elegy and all this stuff and like an epic you know following all this epic tradition and then he's like and this this also directly wow wow my i just like my third i just like okay (laughs) no but she had a moment (laughs) yeah i did um but yeah where he's like katal 16 all these dudes are like making fun of him and he's like Oh, you're making fun of me because, like, I'm in love and, like, I'm a little, like, lover boy or whatever. Like, I will literally sodomize in Facebook. Facebook. (laughs) I will literally sodomize in Facebook. Both of you, you, like, old fucking men who, like, can't even get their dicks up. And this is something that they're having, like, high school students translate when we're all, like, kind of giggly about it. Yeah. Um, But, like, it's it's literally... Uh, Iramabo at, I can't remember the other word, but it's literally like, I am going, like, like future tense, I will do yeah. this. Yeah, where he's, he's just like making these, these promises and these, uh, yeah. Uh, and, so it's the same kind of thing too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, how did we get from like 80s wrestling to like Catullus? <laughs> like shit talking. the two parts of yeah, my brain. You know, like shit talking through the ages from, from Catullus to Ric Flair. <laughs> No, now I, what I want to do like is I legitimately is... want to put together, like, a nice corpus of, like, trash talk. And I want to start... I mean, you can start all the way back to Catullus. Oh, I mean, yeah, like, that's literally where you can start. Yeah. Oldest recorded trash talking. Catullus, like, telling some old, some guys, like, hey, old man, you can't even get your dick to, dick up. At least I got a girlfriend. It's, it's <laughs> that's essentially the poem. It's not even essentially the poem. That's literally what it says. Yeah. It's like, you're so fucking old, you can't even get an erection. It's yeah. like... And this stuff is like... It's funny, too, because it's in, like, the, ca- the literary canon of, like, classical stuff, so it's, yeah. like, this weird, like, romantic-y kind of thing, and yeah. it's writing elegies, so, of course, it's supposed to be, like, romantic, and it's all this stuff with, like, oh, this little, my sparrow, and then it's just, like, my sparrow, and then he's, like, yo, meet me outside, like, just, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Like, like, so that's the other thing, too. Oh, wait, that just reminded me, I need... Quick interruption, I need oh. to find and send it to you and post in the show notes. Somebody did actually translate, I forget which, the Catullus where he's, he starts with just being like, get a grip on yourself, she's lost you, she's never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody actually like, is singing that like Green Day style with like, no. sing, like acoustic guitar, no. I need, uh, I'll, I'll find I the I hate one. classics nerds so much. <laughs> Oh my god. It's funny too because they're like all the same. John Cena. <laughs> John Cena, okay. I, no, all, right. all, all signs point to John Cena. All signs, all, 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 all right. roads lead back to John Cena. <laughs> all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to John And John Cena, Cena is in the Agora. <laughs> John Cena in Agora M S. Um, that's a new fanfic. <laughs> Oh my god, where he's like selling figs or some shit. Uh, I'm so ready. I literally was just about to say I had a vision of like, you know, those like ancient Roman just like billboards of like the gladiators. It said John Cena. I was like. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, has like a horse and a headlock. Or this enti- Yeah, this entire episode is just one extension of that old like John Cena meme. 
Well, no, it's not his meme, it's his truth. But we're, te- <laughs> we're telling his truth. We're telling this is the truth. And I'm sorry if the public can't handle it. Sing it, girl. <laughs> you know I will. I gotta I, I gotta keep it real here. Um but yeah, so John Cena back then, he was associated with blackness through his linguistic practices, and now he's kind of kind of become like this all-American dude. Now he's kind of more of like the uh, Kurt Angle, where he comes out in literally like camouflage khaki shorts or like cargo shorts, and it's like again, I don't know who's doing fucking costuming at the WWE because they need to be fired immediately. <laughs> but he comes out with like the cargo pants on and like dog tags, and he's like ripped, and he's coming out and speaking in like quote-unquote, very standard English. He's coming out in very standard English, so now he has done a heel switch. So he's gone from a heel to a face to the point where children, like, love him. Like, little boys are just like, I love John Cena, blah, blah, blah. He's like this weird, ripped, like, soldier dude. Whatever. And it's just like, oh, okay. Um, If John Cena was in the army, it's kind of fucked up because he's uh, promoting fucked up regimes. But that's neither. (laughs) (laughs) But, But then, and this is very recent, there's this one wrestler who's come out maybe in the last three or so years whose name is Rusev. Rusev Shtick, I think he's actually Russian, so I'm not sure how shticky it is, but the shtick that he has for the WWE is that he's just, like, this huge fucking Russian dude. Okay. Like, he comes out and he looks like he's just, like, emerged from a vat of butter. <laughs> um, which is how I like my wrestlers. <laughs> if they're not if they're not oily, I don't want them. You want the baby oils? <laughs> yeah, because then like like live that fantasy. You get that hose baby oil. Shh. All right, set them out. Exactly, exactly. You're ready to go. You just like slap them on the butt. It's like when we're babies, they cry, they breathe. You send them out. <laughs> Good. Um, Still slick with stuff from the womb. <laughs> slipping down the runway. Um, I should know what that is too, because I literally am taking a class on that right now. <laughs> right. Well, what is? Hello everyone, it's your host. I'm sober this time because this is editing version of the host. Anyway, so this is a fairly long episode full of tangents, which are quite fun, but will take up time. So we are going to divide up this episode into two weeks. So just uh, come on back and uh, get the other half of it later on. In the meantime, please, please, please check out all the fantastic episodes of all the amazing podcasts that we share a network with. There is Off the Cuffs, there is Will Sean Podcasts, there's Proud to be Kinky, and if you listen to them, they'll tell you so much more in terms of other great, great shows that you can listen to. So please go check them out. We'll catch you guys next time, and you all stay weird out there. You know what I mean when I say-